We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I am your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Welcome to Transformative Principal. I am so excited to have on the program today, Dwight Carter. Dwight is a fellow digital principal of the year through NASSP, and he is uh, now the director, assistant director at East Career Center. Did I get that title right, Dwight? I'm sorry. Uh, Eastland. Eastland Career East, Center. Eastland Career Center. Thank you. I knew that I had it partway right. All right. So, Dwight, thank you so much for being part of the podcast, and um, I'm excited to talk to you tonight. Thanks, Jethro. It's good to talk to you. So, we are doing a little uh, feature here about the Future of Educational Technology Conference, for which you are one of the featured speakers, and I'm excited to attend that conference in January. And uh, if you want to know more about that, go to FETC.org, and you can sign up to to be there or just follow along with what is happening there. And uh, Dwight, as a featured speaker there, you're going to be talking about a couple different things. One of those is teaching in disruptive times. And can you talk to us a little bit about the idea and genesis for that topic? Yeah. A good friend of mine, mentor and leader, Mark White, uh, he and I co-authored his book, uh, I think back in 2017. And it came from um, a lot of our experiences. He as an assistant, um, excuse me, a superintendent, assistant superintendent and building principal. And me as a principal under his leadership and our experiences through leadership and uh, consulting work and just coaching and, and talking to a lot of people across the country and, and researching. And we noticed, he in particular noticed like a fourth wave of change that was occurring globally 
or through globalization. And a lot of that came from just with the, the massive use and influx and speed of technology. It creates a situation where there's constant disruptions that go on because of the, the rate of change is so rapid now. And you hear people say, you know, I'm so stressed, I'm so stressed, I'm so stressed. And that, that's real. And a lot of it is because we have change on top of change on top of change. And one of those reforms, because of all this change, is look, uh, looking at you know, massive school reform. And the number of years between the, the reforms has decreased. So you went from you know, no child left behind, and then that lasted for what, 12, 13, 14 years. And then you had you know, Common Core that was introduced, and now you have Every Student Succeed Act. And so these, these reforms that have occurred in a shorter amount of time, and districts are having a very challenging time adjusting to all the mandates and restrictions and requirements because we're truly focused on every single kid succeeding in the high level. And then, uh, you know, handling all these disruptions and, what, and what's, what combats that is that district and building leadership turn, turns over so rapidly. So think about it this way. Um, you have these ongoing reforms and it takes about three to five years for an initiative to stick in any school district, any, any building, but yet principal turnover and superintendent turnover is like one and a half to three years. So just when an initiative is starting to stick, you have new leadership and then you have a new leadership coming in and they want to start a new initiative. Then you have new leadership and it's just the cycle continues. And so we're trying to navigate and, and show people a framework on how to adjust to these, these rapidly changing and disruptive times. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking, I, just last week I was talking with uh, Dr. Catrice Pereira in uh, Gresham Barlow School District out in Oregon and one of her principals, Kimberly Miles, and they were, you know, talking about how to create more diversity in their leadership and workforce in the school district. And, you know, they're talking about putting some things into place, like giving high school juniors and seniors early college opportunities so that they can go into teaching themselves. But, you know, that's like, that's a four to six year process just in and of itself, you know, and, and just because of how life happens, there's a chance that both of those leaders could be gone uh, before those kids ever come back to that to that school and to that district and start working. And so, you know, these initiatives are important, but it's really challenging to keep that momentum going. What's your guide to doing that so that you can actually have something that outlives you or your presence. And the reality is life happens and everybody's going to die at some point. <laughs> so right, we're right. going to move on. <laughs> so like, right. you know, it, it can't last forever. How do you make it so that the institutional knowledge remains the same? That's a great question. In the, in our book, leading schools in disruptive times, we outlined a framework we call a cat, which is cope, adjust and transform. So let's say a disruptive event occurs, say it's a, a, it's a violation of school safety. Uh, within the first 24 to 48 hours, you cope with it. You, I mean, you gather all the information, you investigate, you respond accordingly, and you make sure everyone's safe. So that's the, that's the C part of it. That's coping. And then you adjust your policies and practices so that you review that situation, you know, a week, two, three weeks out, uh, afterwards and review, like, how do we respond to it? What changes do we need to make? What changes did we make and have those changes stuck? And so you're adjusting practices and policies. And then the T part is the transformation. And then you, you basically review it three to four to six months down the line, even in the next school year. And you see if those policies and practice, practices that you put in place 
with input from student staff, parents if necessary, are now, are they written in policy and procedures to make sure that when that event happens again, you can adjust to it. So in the, in the, in the case of the example of diversity that you, that you brought up, first, the coping with is just coming to a realization that there's a lack of diversity in your teaching and leadership. Right. So you got that. So you're coping with that. And the coping part of this is, is examining why is that? So is it because there's a lack of candidates or is it because there's a, there are a lack of procedures in place to recruit or is there some implicit bias that's within the hiring practices? So that's the coping. And then once you figure those out, you adjust recruiting practices, procedures, recruiting policies. Then you, you know, enter, just look at your, you know, vet your interview process and then you transform it by, again, hiring diverse candidates, interviewing them, questioning them about, you know, needs, experiences, talking to students, talking to staff members as well, um, getting out and going to local universities and, and colleges, even expanding that and recruiting from the business world to see if those who are in the business want to you know, come back and be um, going to education. And that's you're transforming how you're recruiting and retaining staff members. You know, there's a quick response, there's a medium response, and then there's a long-term response or transformative response, as you talked about, that outlasts you as a leader. Yeah. Yeah, that's really great. You know, I, I think about one of the superintendents that I had, Dave Doty is his name, and he was a su- first superintendent of a, the first newly created school district in Utah in over a hundred years. And, you know, things were established pretty good, you know, a hundred years of no, no new school district gave him a really great opportunity to, you know, start fresh and do things differently. And one of those things that I think he did this cat approach really well is he recognized that there were some, some deficiencies in the old model and, put some things in place to ensure that that they would be different in the future, even after he left. And it was interesting right. to see how some of the things like, for example, the teaching and learning or curriculum department or whatever you want to call it, it was called the evidence-based learning department. And that was, that was an intentional naming so that everybody would know when we do learning, it's evidence-based. And shortly after he left and the new superintendent came in, the new superintendent changed that name back to uh, teaching and learning or teaching and instruction or something like that, something that was a more traditional name. And what didn't change, however, was the focus and the emphasis, because when Dave put that new department in place, he put people in there who made it their mission to ensure that we were focusing on instructional priorities that were grounded in evidence and research and were meaningful and beneficial to our students. And that still to this day, several years later, you know, is continuing to be to be what the focus is for that department. And so, you know, there was some coping. There was some uh, small adjustments that couldn't withstand the test of time. But then there were those transformative things that that department got its identity from focusing on research and good instruction. And so, you know, your your example there, I think, is is really good. Now those are dealing with some some specific events that we've talked about, but there's also a lot of things like automation and online courses and different things that, you know, in many ways make the things we do in school somewhat obsolete. How do we deal with those type of events that are that are much bigger than, you know, just one district or school event happening, but it's more of a systemic change to our whole system. 
Yeah. Um, again, great question. What we're, you know, what we're facing, you know, across the country, and I'll just say specifically with, with Ohio is, you know, there's so many now, there's so many options now or pathways to graduation. And there's so many pathways to students earning high school credit. Like you mentioned online options, you know, we, we use Treka and some other online options for students to recover credit. However, it's moving beyond credit recovery and moving to credit acceleration because we're recognizing that students have an opportunity to, we can, schools are taking more opportunity to intervene, but also to enrich students' experience. With that said, though, one of the barriers that we have to work with then, again, adjusting our practices is making sure there's there's a teacher of record. But with that teacher record, we have to make sure that we're not giving teachers more um, FTEs or more assignments than what's required or within their their bargaining agreement. So it takes a lot of finessing and finagling, but also understanding what is allowed and what's not allowed so that the students aren't the students don't suffer and in, in, in us trying to accommodate or enrich their experience. So again, it's, it's, it's disruptive because it's breaking the mode of the, you know, 7.30 to 2.30 or 3 o'clock or 8 to 4 framework that we t- traditionally have um, when it comes to the students obtaining credit. And it's looking at credit as a 24-7, 365 day endeavor, which is extremely disruptive to a traditional nine-month school year and giving respect to different learning opportunities where students can obtain credit. And so it's um, it's tricky and schools are navigating through that, but it's requiring a lot of rewriting of procedures and policies, but also making sure they're aligned with the state boards of education. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you bring up that idea of credit obtaining 24 7 365 in uh pittsburgh there's a robert harris is the head of human resources there and he's saying that it's time to flip the school day and i got this from uh, michael horn's newsletter and he talked about harris suggests that high school students start their school day at 9 a.m which is you know more in line with like the research behind kids needing sleep and needing to sleep in and then they would go to work first then halfway through the day, like two or so or one, they'd go back to the school where they would participate in extracurricular activities and project work. And then in the evenings, when their parents are most likely home, then they would spend that time working on their on their coursework. And, you know, he's calling that flip the entire school day. And I think that that I'd love to talk with Mr. Harris about that. So if anybody knows him, I'd love to have a connection because I think that that's a really, that's a great idea and a really powerful way to, to adjust it and deal with the changes that are coming. I mean, there's so much information out there. And one of the things that we're grappling with in our school district right now is this idea of whether or not we should require British literature to be able to graduate from high school. Cause right now it is required. And so is that even appropriate today? to say that British Lit specifically needs to be a credit that you have in order to graduate? Or is there some other courses that could qualify in that same realm and Brit Lit could be one of many options that kids choose? But right now it's not that way. And so everybody is required to take that class and pass it in order to get a diploma from our school district. Yeah, see the the disruption there in your district is that it's starting with simply asking the question and being able to have the conversation. And so that's, that's the beginning stages of a, of a disruptive 
disruptive event. And so it starts with the conversation, gets people, get people to start thinking differently about it, and then creating the space for people to to have a safe conversation about, you know, why do we require British lit? Like, what is the per, like, what's the history behind it, and is it still necessary? And what else can students take in in place of this British British literature credit? You know, one of the things that we offer um, at Eastland Career Center, Eastland Fairfield Career and Technical School District as a whole is um, work-based learning, which our students absolutely love. Uh, so through their labs, let's say auto tech or pre-engineering or computer programming, software development, they have a school-to-work or work-based learning opportunity their senior year. It typically starts their second semester. So they make sure they, they you know pass the required courses they meet their academic course requirements, and then they can find a, either a, a print a apprenticeship or mentorship or even employment during the school day to apply the skills they've learned through their lab. And that can typically lead to employment right after school, or it can lead to you know scholarship opportunities. Or some students just say, you know, I just want to learn this, you know, these last two years, um, but I, I still want to go into a two or four year university. I want to major in business or finance or whatever else they want to do, but they now have the industry credential coming straight out of high school. So they now can work while they're in college to earn more money towards paying for their degree, or they can skip college altogether, get a, get a position in the, um, in the workforce and then have their employer then pay for them to go back to school to finish their two or four year degree. And so that has been like CTE is now at the cusp of what many, especially in Ohio, what policymakers and legislation is now supporting, you know, work-based, work-based learning experiences, industry credentials, and college accreditation. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very disruptive right now, which is a great thing. It's a great experience to have and a great time to be in career tech education. Because again, if there's, there's now multiple pathways for students to obtain a high school um, diploma. And it's not just through state testing. And that's through 2022. And then 2023, the new standards will you know, um, kick in. But right now, there's a, there are a number of pathways students can use to um, obtain, the, obtain the diploma. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing that you're talking about at FETC in January is this idea of teaching Generation Z, which is kids who are who come to us with different skills and abilities. And, you know, I just think about my daughter who, you know, we're recording this in November and she's participating in National Novel Writing Month and she's eight years old, Dwight, and she wants to do it. And she's like dedicated to writing every single night. And I just can't believe it because she's, you know, she's going to school all day and then she's coming home and she's writing a ton more and is enjoying it. And, you know, that, that kind of thing, like if you got a kid who like is in second grade and has written a book in one month, like what kinds of other things are possible for that kid? I mean, the world's pretty much limitless, don't you think? Absolutely. And, <laughs> and kids today, they have uh, so much access to information and opportunities to do, to do great things because of that access. Uh, and with that said, we still have to teach them how to navigate through the the waves of information that are coming at them on a day-to-day basis. One of the characteristics that we've learned um, that Gen-, Gen Z possesses is their need um, to use technology. But I know the last say, year and a half, two years, there's been a lot of research about the impact 
the negative impact of students' use of technology and, and access to smartphones and whatnot, the negative impact on their social, emotional well-being or their mental health. And so I, I definitely see that, acknowledge that. And I would say is one thing that we stressed in our book, What's in Your Space. And as we looked at Generation Z, it's not an either or. Either they use technology or they don't. It's a both and. It's teaching them how to use it appropriately, but also and also help them understand that it's not needed all the time. And so like in the situation with your daughter, I mean, she's writing a book at the age of eight. She can use, you know, technology to research, but ultimately she's still relying on her, uh, her ability. She's honing her skill and she's taking the effort and, and using, a, using her own talents to sit down and write or type mm-hmm. however she's putting it out there. Yeah, and she's writing too by the way. Yeah, so it's a balancing. It's a it's a balance between the two. And I think the more we can understand what this access and opportunity, the more we can help them balance the things that are coming at them as opposed to shutting things off or saying or or as a carte blanche free reign wild wild west, mm-hmm. I think the better off they, they'll they'll be. Another aspect of generation Z is is it's all about choice. I mean, this generation has grown up with the, the ability to design, create their own shoes, their own music, what they watch on TV, the shows they like to watch, when they watch them, where they watch them, how they, how they watch them. Choice is a part of their lives, except in schools. We typically prescribe their first two years, especially the first two years of high school, and then it opens up quite a bit the senior or junior year, and then it's wide open their, their senior year. Um, but their senior year then is, you know, it's their last year. And they, some of them just want to coast because they've gotten everything out of the way and they, they feel like they've earned some time off. But the reality is the senior year can be used to really tap into and help them explore their um, passions by setting up opportunities for them to have choice um, about things, choice of things that's relevant to them in their world right now. You know, like going back to your daughter, she has that choice as an eight, eight-year-old. Just imagine what that's going to look like, like 10 years from now when she's a senior. And, and, you know, let's say she has a senior capstone or a senior project or some other choice driven class or requirement. I mean, the possibilities are endless and she already has that experience that she can lean on. So the more we can um, give students, you know, choice and voice in their learning, the more relevant school is going to be. And they'll, they'll, tell, they'll take a much deeper interest in their schooling experience and they own it a lot more. So it's not a passive experience. Yep, totally. And, you know, I could go on for hours, Dwight, about students driving their own learning and it is so incredibly powerful. So earlier this year, I partnered with ASCD to create the um, student-driven learning uh, community. And so you can check that out at studentdrivenlearning.net. And I just think that 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 piece that you said is just so important. We've got to give them more choice and and put it on their shoulders. I mean, the thing that's amazing to me, Dwight, is when I when I see kids given the choice, they always, always, even the ones we think no way they'll never do it, they always exceed our expectations. And absolutely. And that's the thing for me that is just mind blowing. I mean, we have these standards in place, but I have not seen a kid who's given the choice ever stop at a standard that is at their grade level they always push and go deeper and that's that's just what i've seen every time i've given kids that opportunity and it's amazing and especially if you give them an authentic audience to share that information with 
Oh yeah. And they rise above the expectation as you pointed out. Yeah. Because they realize they recognize that somebody truly cares about what I know and they're 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 deeply interested and the students wants to they want to demonstrate how much they know and make their teachers proud and their parents proud and things of that nature. Um, we mm-hmm. just we experience that, you know, on a regular basis, especially at the career tech ed world now, in which I'm um, I'm navigating through with our school or work based learning students. Like I went into the auto tech lab a couple of days ago and was asking about, you know, the engine and talked to one student. He was just he works at Toyota Lexus in um, the central Ohio area. 17 years old. His knowledge is just I mean, it's deep. So he was explaining a few basic things and then another student came over and he started sharing his information that he contributed. Another, then a third student came over. Within 10 minutes, I had six students around me talking about what they know about an engine and the things that they've experienced and, you know, uh, you know things that they've seen. And they, they just, they lit up because they saw there was genuine, I genuinely wanted to know what they, what they knew. And I was asking I mean, basic questions and their depth of knowledge was just simply amazing. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. Um, and my, our director happened to be in there. She captured a picture of it as we we're around this. Um, it was a mock-up of a, an engine and the kids were, I mean, they were, <laughs> they were, they just, they became teachers and they were just, it was an amazing experience, amazing experience. And this is what they get to experience, you know, uh, when they go into their work-based learning uh, in the afternoons. I was just like, man, this, so I started asking the students, like, are you going to pursue this as a career? And one, one guy says, yes, I already, I'll be working full time for Toyota, Toyota Lexus. Um, They've already talked about sending me to school, you know, after my first year. I mean, it was just, it was, it was an amazing opportunity for that, for that young man. Yeah, man, that's incredible. And you and I both have hundreds of stories just like that of kids who are rising above and doing amazing things. Um, the last question I asked Dwight is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you? Uh, one thing principals can do this week to be a transformative principal. Uh, a great question. I would say gather a group of students for about an hour and ask them about the learning experiences at their school and what and how they can improve. Like what are they like about it and what are some things they can improve and then put those things into place. You can do that, get student voice. It'll be, it'll, it'll be transformative because you're hearing from the students who are most impacted by their, by being in your school. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that is great advice. Just a reminder, you can see Dwight Carter present at FETC. You can go register for that at FETC.org. That's the Future of Educational Technology Conference. And you can follow Dwight on Twitter at Dwight underscore Carter. Uh, Dwight, thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle. It's awesome, as always, to talk to you. Thanks for the opportunity, Jethro. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. 
But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.